Hi, I'm Jim from the Honor Pair podcast. I promised a special guest. Roll credits. Welcome to the Honor Pair Cricket Podcast with Jim Dale, Daryl Butler, Peter de Sonberg, and Ollie Murs. Welcome back for the latest edition of the Honor Pair podcast. It's three friends talking about the game they love and the team they follow. And sadly, not Ollie Murs. He wasn't available. I went big, but I came up short. We do still have guests, though, I promise. As always, I've got my two good friends with me helping me out along the way. Peter de Sonberg, hello. Hello, Tim. How are you, mate? I'm very well. It's been a busy two weeks, but I'm staying alive. That sounds like the Bee Gees. We won't go there. How are you, Pete? I'm all right, mate. Thank you. I mean, nice to see you've let us down again. We were all looking forward to a big guest, and uh, you, you've not come up trumps. But never mind. We'll forgive you. Ah, uh, it's going to be okay. I have got a big guest. It just wasn't Ollie Murs. Ollie Murs was busy. Uh, we're close personal friends. He just didn't. He just didn't have time. Sadly, that's also <laughs> not true. He he doesn't like me. Um, Daryl Butler, how are you, sir? I'm all right, thanks, mate. Did you not have the rights to play his music? Was that the problem? Uh, I mean, to be honest, if I had the rights, I still wouldn't do it. You know, <laughs> he, see, actually, he seems like an all right lad, doesn't he, Ollie? He seems yeah, like a cheeky, right. friendly chappy. Um, he's a good footballer, isn't he? You should see him in that um, charity football match every year. Uh, was it Soccer Aid? Yeah. Oh, is, is he any good, is he? Yeah, he's a footballer. All right, get him down Worcester City. That'll yeah. be nice. I How's your so, fortnight yeah, been, Daz? Very good, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, uh, not too bad at all. Lots of cricket, mate. Well, I mean, that's the aim of the game, isn't it, on this podcast? It's the cricket, right. Lovely stuff. Plenty of bits to get through, but we'll be honest with you, gang. This is a kind of a a how-you-doing podcast. We're not going to go big here, um, but we just thought we'd check in with you, see how you're going. We're not going for a full bunger, but um, we'll get through all the relevant bits and pieces. And to that end, I suppose we better crack on. So, let's do the news. And I suppose we better start with the rather sad news that uh, Ted Dexter, the former England Test captain, has died at the age of 86. He played 62 tests for his country, went on to captain England as well as Sussex during the early 60s. An incredible career, an incredibly likeable guy, uh, and he used to knock about on his motorbike, roll into Lords. Always gave his time to the players, particularly in the 90s. Mike Atherton was particularly fond of him. So that's a sad one. Um, a true legend of the game. So Ted Dexter has died at the age of 86. Um, and I suppose we better mention England while we're at it. They're taking on India. We're recording on a Friday night. Doesn't normally happen, but we've got no place else to go. They're taking on India. India are currently 215 for two. By the time you listen to this, that'll be out of date anyway. So we won't dwell on it too much. But um, the England performance, a much better showing than the previous test. So hopefully, hopefully over the weekend, the boys will get it done. Uh, and we'll pick up a victory to make it one all in the series. Adil Rashid, I tell you what, we haven't played this in a while, boys, but I'm going to do it. Finally, the world has seen sense because Adil Rashid is playing in the IPL. The England leg spinner will be playing for the Punjab Kings. Right. I mean, it's overdue. Adil Rashid, I think, is the fourth best T20 cricketer in the world. He's an absolute stalwart for England. The fact that he hasn't played IPL before is baffling, but they've finally seen sense. So he will be playing at its resumption on the 19th of September. So hopefully he'll put up a good show. Actually, let's stick with um, Yorkshire links. Uh, and it's not good stuff, to be honest. We have mentioned before, Azim Rafiq, he was uh, he accused Yorkshire of 
uh, essentially of racism that he was discriminated against. There was a review into this. Yorkshire have offered him profound apologies after several allegations were upheld by an independent investigation. Um, And Rafiq is not happy. You can't blame him, really. Basically, Yorkshire said, sadly, historically, Hazim was the victim of, quote, inappropriate behaviour. However you want to put it, they're refusing to acknowledge the language that should be used here. He was discriminated against because of his race. And that is not good enough. It's not inappropriate behaviour. So he's clearly upset. Um, So they'll be... Am I right in saying they haven't released the report either, Yorkshire? They haven't, but it will be released. Um, and the, it was a, a thorough investigation, and they talked to numerous people, former players, former staff, and current players, current staff. Um, and I think he's mainly upset because calling it inappropriate behaviour feels like they're sanitising it because the, some of the people that have been accused of this behaviour are still very much involved with the club and very high up. So really rather unsavoury. We will find out more about this in due course. Uh, Rafiq has given a number of interviews, and a number of really emotional interviews, uh, where he's described the impact of, of this on him and his family and some of the other traumas that he's experienced in the, in the past few years. Uh, a quote from his statement, it said that he's been left isolated, lonely, bullied and targeted because of race. Um, and as you say, Daz, Yorkshire have, have failed to release the report in a timely manner. The ECB seem to have stood on the sidelines and it's another story that we're talking about of racism in cricket and actions speak louder than words and the governing bodies need to act. It's as simple as that. The poor lad, as you point out, I mean, his mental health and everything else. He was living his dream, playing county cricket, and uh, that's how he gets treated. It's not good enough. It's just not good enough. Um, anyway, let's move across the Pennines to Lancashire, because they've done a cracking bit of business. They've signed uh, Sussex batsman Phil Salt, and I think England batsman soon. He's a super talent. He's gone to Lancashire on a three-year deal. They continue to strengthen their, their batting ranks. Phil Salt, Joss Butler, and Liam Livingston in a short-form game. I mean, that's pretty frightening, isn't it? That's scary, isn't it, that three? That trio. What's happening um, at Sussex? Because they've lost Chris Jordan as well. He's gone to Surrey, hasn't he? Well, you think about it. I mean, these days, Surrey, they've got coin. Lancashire, they've got yeah. coin. Sussex, yeah, they haven't. So what can you do? Um, uh, and that's a shame, but it's a great move for Phil Salt, especially if you think when the big when the big guns go and play for England, he's going to be the main man. But he's a, he's a fabulous cricketer. He really is. And I suppose if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about cracking batsmen signing three year deals, I think maybe Worcestershire County Cricket Club deserve one of these. Because they have signed prolific run scorer Jake Libby, top order batsman, pair extraordinaire to a new three year deal, tying him to the club until twenty twenty four. And that, if we're honest, is a big relief because he is the business. Top-notch signing, isn't it? The only thing that will make it better is when he gets his long-overdue England call-up. Well, yeah, well, yeah, best opener for the past two years. Don't know what he's got to do. I will say, though, I'm really pleased for Hamid. He got 68 and looked pretty decent. He's a really good Absolutely. cricketer. But, I, I, you know, I, you feel a little bit, actually, with England that you've got to be a face. If you're not a face by 23 and in the system and in the clique, then forget about it. Um, and then if you're in the clique by the time you're 23, you'll get go after go after go when people kind of go through the merry-go-round. But if you don't get in there early, it's really difficult then to get in at all. But Jake, he's done everything right. I feel a bit sorry for him in that if he has to play sort of third division cricket, he's not going to be facing the top end bowlers that get England selectors excited. But I mean, he just scores runs all the time. He's just he's getting better. He's brilliant. I, I love the dude. He's he's legit. He's our best player, and I'll fight anyone who disagrees. 
I'll meet you in the ring, but let's move on. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'd, I'd take that back. I can't fight. If anyone's listening, I won't fight you. I just think Jake Levy's good. Shut up, Jim. Good point. Right, let's move on. We must mention the ECB. Almost forgot. Um, a lot of people are very angry because the top brass in the ECB are going to be paying themselves £2.1 million in bonuses which is astonishing considering the reserves have been completely depleted in the game. There amount of, the amount of redundancies, players taking pay cuts, and then they fancy they fancy a cut of over 2 million quid. Um, shocking, well, we, quite frankly. I mean, it was 16 million lost, was it, last year, the ECB. You've got counties in the ECB letting staff go left, right and centre. Um, £100 million drop in revenue. Um, but there's £2.1 million for the, for the top executives to have a, a little bit of a bonus next year. That's uh, taking the mickey a little bit, isn't it? Well, they'll still get their skiing holidays, which is nice, good for them. But I, I mean, it's just—it's so tone deaf as a move, isn't it? It's just yeah, tone deaf. Of course it is. I um, mean, the players took a break. The, you know, the the, the 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 prize money dropped hugely. It was over a million pounds down last year. They've spent their lives in these biosecure bubbles, away from their families, and and then the people running the game go and do that to them. You leave a bit of taste in the mouth if you're a player. The other point about it is, you know, they they build the hundred as being accessible and relatable to the average consumer. <laughs> point. And then yeah. they go and pay themselves a nice hefty bonus, which, of course, we can all relate to, can't we? Oh, boys, I tell you what, we've not done a pod for two weeks, but we are back. Three white, middle-class, middle-aged men complaining about stuff. Yes! We are back! Right! Enough of that. Um, look, it's, it's all pertinent, it's all valid. Um, but let's uh, let's move on. News done. Daz, Worcester Watch. I imagine it's going to be quite a quiet one. There's not been a lot of cricket. Am I wrong? No, there's an awful lot. There's a um, second eleven game, wasn't there? Which I think we're going to talk about a little bit later. But the boys smashed Warwickshire, so that's uh, always worth talking about in a bit. Uh, and there's been some Central Sparks action. Uh, there was Charlotte Edwards Cup on Wednesday, and the Sparks chased down 163 to beat the Southern Vipers. Now let's uh, let's talk about Marie Kelly in that one. She was opening the batting, 163 to win, and uh, we were four short of victory, the Sparks, and she is 96 not out. And then uh, oh. pulled a, a decent ball from just outside the off stump through the leg side for a one bounce four to bring up her ton and to win the game for the Sparks oh. in one delivery. So uh, a great finish for Marie Kelly and for the Sparks. That, and they played four one two in that tournament now. That's so. absolutely dreamy, isn't it? Absolutely brilliant. Isn't I, it? <laughs> I mean, you, you just can't. I mean, yeah, you can't. You, you can't script that, can you? Oh, yeah, she's having one of these. She's having. Win. She's having one of these, Daz. <laughs> That's just perfection. Deserved, uh, uh, she, she actually deserves one without me talking over it as well, if you're looking for another one. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, any more for any more, Daz? Uh, there was some Central Spark Academy action as well. That was Thursday. Um, they had a couple of 25 over friendlies and won both of them. And it was two Worcestershire players who were the pick. Hannah Hardwick, four for 10 yesterday. Wow. And uh, Charis Pavley, top scored with 56. And we mentioned those two actually last time on the last yeah. one. So uh, they're having a good season, those two. So uh, we'll, we'll look out for those names in the future as well. The, the kids um, are all right. They are. They're Sparks, actually. To go back to Central Sparks, they're at home on Saturday. They're taking on the bottom place side, which is the Northern Lightning. And that's it, New Road, Jim. I've heard a rumour that Mr. Peter de Sundberg is being in attendance. Pete, is it true? It is true, and I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be amazing. Oh, mate, I'm well gelled. And I say that because it's going to be good cricket, and I'm going with my mum, and she always makes a hamper. We've been Daz, we've been binned off. We're not allowed to go to the cricket uh, with Pete anymore because his mum makes good his sandwiches. Mum brings a hamper, so I mean he, he's chosen he's chosen wisely. 
Right. To okay. be fair, his, um, his, his wife made a very nice cake as well for a, a, a birthday earlier in the week. So uh, I wonder if there'll be any of that in the hamper. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Enough of uh, Peter de Somburg's comestible possibilities. Uh, <laughs> any more Worcester Watch does? I think that's it, mate. I'm that's it. Okay. Lovely I'm stuff. Right. Now, right. Uh, okay. Let's move on. As you know, we like to do the 100 in 100 seconds. But we had a bit of a production... It's not a production meeting. We don't have production meetings. We have WhatsApp arguments. Um, And Pete didn't want the clock this time because we want to wrap up the tournament. We've also got a couple of surprises about that, uh, about the 100 coming your way in just a minute. Um, So he didn't want the clock. I quite like the clock. um, And I've made an executive decision. And I thought, well, let's keep the clock. But what I've done, Pete, because there's been a bit of a gap and we've had the finals at Lords, I've extended the clock, right? So I've given you a bit more breathing space, so you don't feel is that it 101 pressure. seconds? It is exactly 101 seconds, Pete. You're correct. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know? Am I that transparent? You, yeah. now have, you now have 101 seconds. So, Pete, what happened in the 100 in the past fortnight? Go! I'm just going to wrap up the performances of the teams, really. Uh, Sarah Glenn's Trent Rockets, they had an up-and-down tournament. They won three out of the first five, but unfortunately they faltered towards the end to finish seventh in the group. Sarah Glenn, she took five wickets at an average of 35, with a best of one for 17, and she scored 47 runs, which included a 23 not out. Uh, moving on to Emily Arlott, who had a really good tournament with the Phoenix. They started poorly, but they won three in a row, and they managed to make it to the playoffs. Unfortunately, they fell short in that as they were beaten by the eventual winners, the Oval Invincibles, um, who posted 114 for seven, with Arlott taking one for 11 off 15 balls. Uh, but yeah, sadly, they uh, were skittled out for 94 in reply. In terms of the tournament, she took six wickets at an average of 25, scored 41 runs, which included a brilliant 22 off 14 balls in the penultimate game, and we tweeted about that. Moving on to the Phoenix. They had a brilliant tournament as well. They won six out of their eight group games as they made it to the final, when unfortunately they were beaten by the Southern Brave. Pennington and Brown didn't have their best games in the final, but Mo scored a brilliant 36 alongside Livingston. Uh, Pennington and Brown overall, Penny took two wickets, which included two in one over, including removing Hales' off stump, which was delightful. And Brown took six wickets at an average of 27. <laughs> uh, Mo and Ali took four wickets, average, an average of 32, and scored a massive 225 runs. He was one of the leading run scorers. But it's really all about Ross Whiteley. He's the champion and with Southern Brave. Uh, they beat the Phoenix, as I say, in the final. Whiteley scored 133 runs, but 44 of those were in the final itself as he gave the uh, team much-needed momentum and posted 168 for five. And including some... Pete, you've started, massive... so you finish. <laughs> including some massive sixes against Pennington and Brown, which was uh, uncomfortable and interesting to see. And then just to finish off, Ben Cox, unfortunately, didn't feature in the tournament. Yes, that is a shame. Pete, that's a lovely roundup. I have to say, that was impressive work. And you were about seven seconds away from absolutely nailing it. Um, I should have given you 120 seconds, but that would have been T20, wouldn't it? And it wouldn't have been fair. <laughs> um, right. OK, lovely stuff. Now, I mean, obviously, on the podcast, I'm probably the most grumpy about the 100. I think the 100 for the women's game has been absolutely brilliant, by the way. It has been really joyous. The men's game, there are complications there, but that's OK. But in the interest of being a decent human... Um, we have, you know, we have to consider the fact that the players have been asked to play in it and they've been offered good money to do it and they've had a brilliant time and that sort of needs to be acknowledged. They're all humans. I mean, Jake Lintop, the, um, no, sorry, the left arm wrist spinner, he was a teacher 
the start of the season, and he's just won a major final at Lords. You can't not love that, especially yeah. as he supports Exeter City. I'm not biased. Um, the only Warwickshire player that's worth liking, he's an Exeter fan, good lad. Um, but as an aside, people may or may not know, this podcast's a bit of a busman's holiday for me, in that uh, I'm a broadcaster, that's what I do for a living. And occasionally they let me loose on proper grown-ups. So um, I'll play out a little tape. I managed to speak to on uh, BBC Radio Shropshire's breakfast show this week, um, Eve Jones from uh, Birmingham Phoenix 100 side and Dylan Pennington from the Birmingham Phoenix 100 side and asked them about their experiences. I spoke to Eve first and we discussed the campaign from her point of view. You guys, you didn't quite make the final at the weekend, but you came close, didn't you? Yeah, we we made the eliminator on on Friday, and we unfortunately lost lost in that game. So we didn't quite make it to Lords, but it was a great competition, and yeah, really chuffed with how far we got. So, what's it like coming into a brand new team set up this year and a brand new competition? Is it confusing, or does it just feel like cricket to you? Um, I think the first couple of games were a little bit confusing, just getting our head around. The five balls was the biggest thing, I think, um, and some of the tactics around that. But um, I think the biggest thing for me was was playing on the big stage. Like With the Central Sparks, we unfortunately don't get as many people coming to watch and um, it's not as well publicised. So playing in the 100 ball when we're playing live on Sky, live on BBC, having sold out crowds at Edgebaston was really exciting and really special to be part of. Well, you could you could sense there was something special happening with the women's game, particularly the first game, which was at the Oval, the Invincibles and the uh, Originals, and there was eighteen thousand there, and it was noisy as anything. When you see that first game on TV and the big crowds for the women's game, did you start to get nervous for the Phoenix? Um, a little bit. I think I'd have probably been a little bit nervous anyway for that first game, but um, I think we were just taken aback with how how much it took off and how many people actually came out and supported us. So. It was just a, a great feeling to see that and and I think the women's game is going to take off on this massively. Do you think this might be a turning point then for the women's game? Yeah, definitely. I think this is definitely going to put the women's game on the map and I think the support we've received and the amount of people have actually just turned out and supported us and, and actually getting involved with women's cricket now is, is great and I think it's only going to get better and better over the next few years. So, yeah, I can't wait to see where it goes now. And the standard's really high. Lots of professional players in the women's game now as well. But it must be good to see those large crowds and a lot of young women in the crowd too. Yeah, I think I think that was one of the, the main things that they wanted to achieve from the 100, getting more people involved, more children playing cricket and to see the amount of families that are actually coming out and, and playing the game and getting involved and having new heroes to support and new teams to support um, was really nice as well. So hopefully that that will help with the grassroots side of the game, getting more people involved. Dylan Pennington, um, he's a Shropshire lad. He plays professionally for Worcestershire, my lot, but he's been playing for Birmingham Phoenix too. It took a little while there for you to get into the Phoenix side, but you were playing in the men's final on Saturday. What was it like to be at the home of cricket on such a special occasion? Oh, it was um, it was brilliant. It was uh, it was a pretty weird uh, weird situation to be in. I, d- I definitely at the start of the year wouldn't have expected to be um, running in in front of thirty thousand, bowling the hundredth ball of of our innings in the final. But it was an incredible experience and one that I'll I've learned a lot from, uh, and and I absolutely hope I get a, a chance next year to um, show probably what I've I've got to learn over the next winter and and go again and hopefully do a bit better. I suppose. Well, it's been a cracking summer for you because you think at the start of the county season, a young fast bowler trying to find your way in the game and get into the Worcestershire first team, and you end up playing in a packed Lords on national TV. 
I mean, that must be kind of special. Oh yeah, it, it was it was a really special occasion. It was really nice, I think, for my family to be able to be there and and watch the game. Um, but yeah, it was it was a really special occasion uh, for me, really. I, it's only really just starting to sink in what sort of occasion it was, and um, everything goes so quick when you're out there and and pre-game and stuff and nerves. But when you step back and have a look of what, what what's actually gone on over the last couple of weeks, um, it's pretty special for for me, and I've really really enjoyed it. It's it's been an incredible experience. And did it help having your Worcestershire teammates out there? Because in the final there were there were four of you, so it was yourself. You had Moeen yeah. Ali and Pat Brown I mean, from Worcestershire yeah. in your side. Yeah, well, I'm not sure it helped that I had uh, Ross Wiley out there, but <laughs> um, it helped. It helped having. Uh, Mo out there, he's a really good leader. He's very relaxed, very calm in those sort of situations. So it was good having him around. And obviously Brownie, I get, um, Pat Brown, I get on very well with. So we spoke a lot about before the game, about nerves and stuff. And, and it just makes it relaxed. It, it makes it nice that you know people out there to support you if it, if it doesn't go so well. And you mentioned Ross Whiteley, who's another Worcestershire player. He uh, played for the Southern Brave. They ended up winning and he scored a few runs. Have you forgiven him yet for hitting you? No, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Don't no, speak to him was, ever uh, again. No, he, he was in, it was an incredible innings from him, and and they they were the better team on the day, I suppose. He did extremely well under lots and lots of pressure. I mean, it was uh, it, it's not very often you play in front of thirty thirty thousand people um, and have to perform like he did, um, and he did so. Um, and I suppose in big games, it comes down to who can deal with the pressure the most, and and he did that, I suppose. So there we are. That's uh, Eve Jones and Dylan Pennington. And um, it just goes to show that I've got a bit of heart. I'm not all bad, am I? Quick, Dad, say something. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare be nice to Jim. Jim and, and I'll fight you in the ring if you say otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> right. Ah, oh, we're getting feisty. No, it was quite um, interesting to, uh, to Evelyn, especially that, talking about the impact. Um, I mean, she described it as a turning point for the women's game. Let's hope it is. Because uh, we've had our reservations about the 100, but as you pointed out uh, earlier on, um, it's, it has been really good for the women's game. They're playing in front of big crowds, which um, the Sparks haven't been, and, and certainly the, the, the women's county teams haven't been. So uh, if it uh, puts the women's game to the same sort of limelight as the men's game is, then uh, then maybe it's we can take a positive out of the 100. Yeah, th- there's going to be lots of conversations about the 100 going forward, I'm sure. Um, but we are cricket fans at the end of the day. And when you have the game of cricket, particularly in the women's game, being promoted in such a fashion that it's going to clearly going to be positive. It's clearly going to get young women into the game. And that's a wonderful, cool and groovy thing. And we're cricket fans and we want to see cricketers that we are connected with, we have an emotional engagement with because of who we support, doing well. I mean, how can you not feel good for Dylan Pennington in the summer he's had, which has culminated in the 100? So, you know... um, for, for all for all the gripes that we could have and that we probably will in the future, well, m- me particularly, we are also human and so are they. So I thought it was only fair to reflect that. Don't worry, that's not our official guest. That's just a bonus. Um, anyway. Aperitif. Sorry, do you mean an aperitif? Is that how you pronounce it, is it? Well, that, yeah, as in you pronounce oh, it correctly like the word it is. You can't, aperitif is basically <laughs> missing out the middle bit. A starter. I'll use starter. I don't have to say that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that was a bad news starter, Dads, wasn't it? Shut up. Right. Um, <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. Daz has gone. I've lost Daz. Come back to me, babes. Oh <laughs> I suppose the main event this week, really, is the second 11, which is really kind of the first 11. There was 
what is, I suppose you'd call, a warm-up game for the uh, impending four county championship games that we have left towards the end of the season. Worcestershire took on the old rivals, their main foes, Warwickshire, at New Road this week. Um, Worcestershire fielding a very strong side, featuring most of the first 11. Warwickshire side, not quite as strong, but it did feature a returning Chris Wokes. And Worcestershire won comfortably. Uh, the, the victory margin was 219 runs. Um, there were some good performances in there. Um, and so we'll have a quick chat about that. So, no, I didn't see any of this game, boys. So uh, how did it go? First innings, uh, 284 Worcestershire made. A couple of notable things. One, Tom Fowl made 49 in this innings, just shy of his 50. And he looked really good. He looked really good. He's put in some decent performances towards the end of the season. He put in a few decent performances in the, in the one day. Uh, in the one-day cup. But until he got done LBW by Norwell, he looked really compact. He looked technically really solid. He didn't... Oddly, he didn't look like getting out until he did. I know that sounds sort of silly, but he has a tendency to have the James Vince problem of getting 20, 30, 40 and nicking off. It's good to see him have a, a, a decent knock with Mitchell and Libby having failed as well because uh, you're sort of backing on those, uh, banking on those two at the start of the end, aren't you? Well, I mean, in trouble, but lost a couple of early wickets and then uh, failed to come in and... and uh... And then Haynes, wasn't it, to put a decent partnership together and, and get us back on top. Yeah, Haynes puts on a Worcester shirt, makes a 50. He's back He's back to it, eight fours and one six. Uh, we decided to bat first. The ball moved about a little bit. You kind of got the feeling that in the morning, get through the morning session, really, and there were runs to be had. Um, I think uh, Roderick made 25. I thought, there's a good cricketer in there. I know we, I've, we kind of was quite critical of Roderick at the start, but... I watch him bat and I think there is a good cricketer in there. I've not given up on him just yet. I know a few Worcestershire faithful have, but um, we'll see what he does next year. I've got a feeling that he might he might be okay. Um, what did you make of it, Pete? Well, before I tell you, I'm just going to say how impressed I am, Jim, that you've told us that 49 is just side 50 and he didn't get out until he did. I've thoroughly enjoyed both of those. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. When, when the ball's going past the outside edge, you you look like you're missing some. You know, do you know what I mean? He looked really, really comfortable, uh, and he got a good one from from Norwell. I know that sounds sort of silly, but you know, you know what I mean. Like he he looked decent. I, uh, I mean, Jack Kane said in his interview afterwards about the benefit of, of second eleven cricket, especially four day second eleven cricket, which they'll ho- they'll hope will become the norm. He did also say about the pitch that there was a little bit more bounce uh, in the wicket or, or unpredictable bounce which uh, they hoped then to be able to tuck into. I thought, I thought all in all, it was, it was a steady batting performance. We were bailed out a little bit by the lower order. Joe Leach hit his uh, usual 50 off, off not many. But you're right about Roderick. It was a really watchful innings for his 25, along with Banton as well. They both, both steadied the ship. And then Leach piled in, as I said, with some lower order runs. I, I, it was 284. This was one of those, I think, you know, probably a little bit more than Warwickshire hoped. Worcestershire felt they managed to scrape up to maybe maybe par, but it, it gave them something to go out in the second inning. Yeah, I mean Wokes. I mean Wokes was opening the bowling with Norwell, and they're both legit. And I thought um, Johal bowled really well. Those three were, those three looked pretty decent. And Norwell took four, Wokes took three, and uh, Johal took one. Um, but they bowled really well. I think once you got past those three, what was behind them was very ordinary. It was very, I mean, that behind those three, it was very second eleven. Worcestershire had more firepower. So I mean, the result, if we're honest, isn't a huge surprise. Um, but yeah, you're right. I thought Banton. Banton really intrigues me. He got run out just basically being lazy, not pushing hard on the first, not taking off the second quick enough. He's got this really kind of um, um, laissez-faire. He just sort of struts about and swaggers about. He looks like he doesn't have a care in the world. He's just like this confident young lad. And he, he can crunch a ball. He can drive a ball. And I just thought, yeah, I like his style. He seems cool. And then he got run out not bothering. And I was like, damn it. Um, 
Did you More. go back to the bowlers of the Warriors? Did you see much of that? Um, the left armour, Carl Carver, the, the, the slow left yes, armour? Yes, I did. Because he was the one who um, lightly hit for six sixes for Yorkshire a few years ago, wasn't he? Oh, was I he? I, seen any, yeah, I haven't seen I didn't any, know I that. I haven't heard about him since. And then I saw his name on the scorecard. I thought, well, hang on, that's the, yeah, I haven't, that's, just, that's the first I've seen of him in about four years. Just when you think Daz has got nothing to offer, he pulls out an absolute gem. <laughs> Just when I thought I was out of the game, they pulled me back in. Um, yeah, da, I didn't realise that. He he bowled okay, actually. He bowled okay. I thought he bowled a lot better in the second innings because he bowled a little bit more wicket to wicket. He was trying to throw the ball outside off stump, trying to offer up a drive and then take the edge. I mean, there's a little bit of turn there, but not much. I thought he bowled much tighter lines and much more aggressive attacking lines in the second innings. And he kind of got reward for it. First innings, he, he bowled okay. I think a lack of variation again. Uh, so, yeah. All right, he doesn't look like a first eleven cricketer to me, if I'm honest. Um, but you can, I can't judge him on one game. But but that was my instinct. Warwickshire's reply: um, Am I right in saying I think uh, Sheikh and Khan, the two openers, they literally are children, aren't they? Like fifteen and sixteen. Right. Yeah. Uh, Worcester's bowling performance: Leach did plenty. Finch looked all right, but Charlie Morris just turned up, turned up for a second spell, took a fiver. I mean. We could say it was definitely an innings for the purists, wasn't it? Because, I mean, they were 30 for their wicket, I think, overnight. And they ended up 128 all out off 70, well, 69.1 overs. So it was not it was not good watching. Um, but, yeah, you're right. Morris took the second spell and, and he just it, well, he just ripped through the tail. Yeah, he did what we always ask him to do is just hit the top of off. Just hit the top of off and just do that all day long because it works for Glenn McGrath. It's, you know, he had quite a good career. So just hit it at the top of off. And wait for these, you know, these second eleven players to have a difficult time. I thought, I thought Finch bowled aggressively and quickly, and it was good to see he got Wokes for a, a, a golden duck, which was quite nice. He, two. Yeah, he got two and two and two, didn't he? He got yeah. Lamb, who who did that thing that I really hate with cricketers, where they fall for the short. Everyone knows what's coming. It's short, especially if you're playing Worcester. It's obviously going to be short. Um, <laughs> and he yeah. hooked it straight to the fielder on the boundary. You know, there were two men out, and he picked one of them out. And I just don't get it. It was brainless shot, wasn't it? Really. Uh, Worcestershire made him pay. Uh, they really made him pay. Mitchell hit a, a pretty fluent 42, but Jake Libby, new contract, same old player. 132 from 190 balls, 18 fours, two sixes. They never stood a chance. He absolutely, it was, a, it was again, it was a masterclass. Carver actually was the player that got him because Libby decided he was just going to smack everything. So he yeah. came down the wicket, danced down the wicket and just looked to smash it over wide um, extra cover. And um, uh, and got bold, but um, yeah, 132 yeah, for him. Them, a, a decent 40 from Roderick, a decent 40 from Barnard. Uh, 320 for six declared. It showed that Wokes didn't bowl in the second innings. Well, and actually that's not true. He did he did bowl a little bit, but they were kind of protecting him, weren't he? Weren't they? He was like eighth change or something stupid. Yeah, because they're they're in action tonight, aren't they? In the T20s, so he bowled a little bit and then didn't feature in their in their second innings reply. Uh, just, uh, just to say on that innings as well, there was a collector's item because there's a Daryl Mitchell six in that innings. Yes, there was. Yes, there was. Uh, playing for a contract, isn't he? Hey, <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if he'll be there next year. I wonder. Um, but yeah. So I mean, again, th- there are elements of this. You, we saw some really good cricket in this match. But let's be clear about this: there were absolutely some very second eleven elements to this game. There were moments where there was real intensity, and there were moments where there were honestly there wasn't, and it's kind of understandable. You know that uh, they're just trying to get Chris Wokes fit, which is understandable. You're trying to get players who aren't playing the short form uh, match ready, like Norwell and that's uh, and and Lamb, and that's cool. 
And Worcester should basically have the time to play the best part of their first 11 uh, and find some form, which is fair enough. So, Warwickshire, they had a tough old task, didn't they? They had to chase down, what was it, 470-odd they needed to win. It was never going to happen. And not, with, not, with, not with Josh Baker playing like that. Well, yeah, Josh, ba- Josh Baker took a 7 seven for 59, which is pretty okay. tidy. Um, Chris Wokes retired not out 10 overnight, obviously with an eye potentially to um, to other games. So they're just managing him, so that's fair enough. So the game, they were never going to win it. They had two teenagers open the batting. Shake looked great, actually. He made 73. Worcestershire's bowling, absolutely fine. Leach, experienced, um, went for less than two and over, took a wicket. Finch bowled okay, took a wicket. Libby nicked one out as well. Five overs, one for 15. But it is, it's all about Josh Baker. Uh, seven for 59. Um, I mean, there was again, it was, again, Baker's seven for 59 for me encapsulated the game. There was some really excellent and intense bowling. And there was also some turn up and turn your arm over. Like towards the end of it, when the game was basically done and he'd taken three. I mean, you watch him bowl, running and bowl. It was just kind of casually. It was like a game in the park, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's worth noting that, that there was a really good stand and, and Warwickshire were 198 for two. Uh, so they completely capitulated. And you're right, towards the end of the innings, it, it just looked like a team who wanted to get out and get home for tea. Um, but yeah. it was a brilliant burst to take them from 198 for two and, and rip out the, the, the middle order. That was a, a lovely bit of bowling to watch. Yeah, I, I liked it. He, he varied his delivery position on the pop and crease, which is always good to see. But he was, I liked it. He was attacking the stumps. He was attacking off stump. And you kind of think, well, natural variation is one of your biggest weapons. You're trying to turn it away as the left-hander. And sometimes, for whatever reason, it just doesn't turn. And that's a beauty. And, that, that's, and then that means that both edges of the bat are in play. LBW is in play. And Bold is in play. He attacked off stump a little bit more. Um, he's, yeah, he's talent. He's a real talent. And there was some cracking bowling in there. Um, getting rid of Bethel and getting rid of Lamb. Look pretty tidy again. Beyond that, Warwickshire were ready to go home, and I, and that's okay. It was it was a warm up game, wasn't it? It was what it was. And Worcestershire, let's be honest, I mean they totally outgunned Warwickshire in terms of personnel, um, and for understandable reasons. But a good run out, young players looking decent, and Libby again scoring runs. You gotta love watching that. Yeah, I agree. You know, ultimately that's that's what it's about. We, we've got a game at the weekend. Uh, the batting lineups have had some good time at the crease and, and the bowlers have put in two good shifts. The only thing that I did notice, and I haven't been able to find out anything on, is is Pennington didn't bowl in the second innings. No. So I, I don't know whether there was another reason that he wasn't available or, or whether he's picked up a knock. I, I'm not sure about that. I haven't seen anything since. No. I mean, you'd normally expect some sort of press line about it if he has, or, if he has been or, injured, but then with Worcestershire, you're never quite sure, are you? They just might not or, say anything at all. No, or he felt really ill after talking to you. Hey, hey, come on. <laughs> Harsh but fair. Um, <laughs> uh, we're back in action. Mean, we've, beaten them, we've beaten them on aggregate this year because we've drawn two, won two, lost one. So we win. Pete, <laughs> I like it, Pete. You've got heart. But if we're honest, if we're clutching at a second 11 mismatch uh, <laughs> as a moral victory, we've got to really recalibrate our standards. Anyway, the Worcestershire first team, which will be not dissimilar to the team that played in this game, they're back at New Road on Sunday. They take on Sussex. We will be back covering the games uh, like we had been at the start of the season. Um, we probably won't be using the same levels of horsepower yeah. because the games are winding down. And if we're honest, the season kind of ended with our hopes of qualifying in the one-day cup. That's okay. 
Still plenty to talk about, and we'll do that. Um, gentlemen, let's bring back an old staple, shall we? Anyone for any other business? Let's do it. Yeah. So, uh, we were given an any other business what seems like years ago. It was uh, Mr. Ferguson on Twitter, wasn't it? Um, he gave us a suggestion. So, remind us what our homework was. Yeah, it was set while Daz was away playing cricket and busy getting run out. Um, <laughs> and it was the best catch that you've seen in person is the the, uh, the criteria. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, right, who's going first? Daz, I reckon. Let's let's pick on Daz first. Daz, for once, you're opening. Okay. Well, yeah, go. no, I, I remember this now. Cause I, <laughs> thank you. Um, because I was I was originally going to go for Harleen Dole, wasn't I? Who, who pulled off that sensational catch for for India? Uh, you know, they all flip back over the boundary, Jobby. Uh, but you told me I wasn't allowed it, so I'm going to go back to 2004, a T20 match at New Road. Uh, do you remember David Hemp of Glamorgan? Sure do. Yes. Well, uh, he was trying to. Well, he had successfully already hooked David Leatherdale into the pavilion once, and was trying to do it for a second time in the innings. Um, but Graham Hick was on his toes and launched himself halfway around the boundary, what it felt like, dive forward in front of the pavilion, uh, right hand, one-handed, plucks one just as it's about to cross the boundary, little tumbling roll, and then just up in the air, arms aloft, thank you very much. And it was an absolutely stunning catch. I don't think it was on TV, so I don't think I ever saw it again after that, which I think makes it a bit more special, but I haven't actually seen it since. But uh, i just never forget that catch. It was an absolutely incredible catch. So Hickey at New Road, David Hemp against the Morgan. No, you're right about that, Daz. I've, I've tried many times to find a, a clip of that because I, I still can't believe he caught it. Did If I'm right, didn't he slide almost? It seemed metres. It seemed he, he just slid along holding an arm out. Yeah. Well, it, yeah he, he just, everything tumbled, just came yeah. together. Brilliant. And uh, David Hemp, a blast from the past. Middle order bat, wasn't he? He was quite, quite um, a sturdy yeah. chap, a sturdy chap that could hit a long ball. He was, uh, he was, because he was left-handed bat, right-handed bowler, wasn't he? Yeah. Strange one, yeah, but, um, yeah. Happen, he, it happens quite a lot, bowling. doesn't it? It happens quite a lot. Jimmy Anderson's a right-handed bowler, left-handed bat, so yeah, Stuart Broad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy yeah, Anderson will thank you for calling him a batsman. <laughs> I will call Jimmy Anderson whatever he wants me to call him, to be honest. Yeah, um, right, okay, uh, Peter de Sonberg, favourite catch. It's one that sticks in my mind uh, vividly, but unfortunately, I can only tell you that it was against Warwickshire at Edgebaston. I can't tell you the year, I can't tell you the tournament, I can't tell you who hit the ball, but I can remember what happened after the ball was struck. It it sailed in the air towards the boundary for six, and the Warwickshire fans. We were in the Hollis at the time. Uh, I was with Daz, and the Hollis went up for the six, and we went down and, and heads in hands, and. We just sort of glanced up and we saw Gareth Batty. And I'm sure an impression will follow. I don't um, know what you're talking about, Peter. I wouldn't dream of it. <laughs> uh, Gareth Batty was reaching one-handed over his, uh, uh, behind him. And he plucked the ball out of the air and landed. And as he landed and then got up and threw the ball up for the catch, the Hollis sat down in disbelief and pockets of Worcestershire fans scattered all the way through the stands, jumped up in celebration. And it, it was a, just an absolutely magnificent catch. And the reaction of the, the encapsulated sport of the, the, the joy of one team immediately followed by the absolute um, dejection and the elation of the other supporters. I, I just it's, it's a catch and a, and a moment that I can't forget. But, but you can't remember the batsman, the year or the bowler? 
Oh, who cares? Gareth Bassett took a wonder catch, and uh, yeah, yeah. and we we probably won the game. It was a edge bust, and we always win. Yeah, there. we always always win there. Yeah, it was that was a brilliant catch, wasn't it? Um, I think it was Jim Trouton. Yeah, let's go with that. I think it was Trouton. I mean, if you'd done your research, but you could have confirmed. <laughs> I've got nothing in reply, but yeah, it, it, it was amazing, and uh, I think I've said that enough. Great shout! Yeah, Jim, what have you got for us? Um, yeah, I've been I've been a bit quiet, boys. Um, I've 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 made a bit of an error. Um, you know, I I promised a guest, and I knew this was coming up, and I thought I'd been really clever because the most famous catch that I remember as a young man, and it was what really hooked me on Worcestershire County Cricket Club, was when we won our first and only Benson and Hedges Trophy in 1991. And um, we'd lost to Lancashire the year before, and we we won it basically the role reversal the following year. And Phil Neal took a skyer to win it, and uh, I, I remember it. it. I, and well, here's the problem: what I've done is because I know Phil, and I've held the ball that he caught for that, and so I phoned him up and said, "Hey, Phil, we do this feature called Any Other Business," and I thought it'd be really impressive. Instead of me talking about the catch, you could talk about the catch. And he said, okay, Jim. So I did. So I phoned Phil up and we had a chat about it, but I wasn't there. I saw it on the telly. So so, so you're telling me that you've got <laughs> Worcestershire legend Phil Neal to describe to us the catch that he took, the Benson and Hedges, to win the Benson and Hedges trophy as your any other business. Is that what you're telling us? Yeah, I am, yeah. But well, you can't use it, can you? No, you can't. I, mean, I, could, I, could, I could have run a Farleen doll. <laughs> I could have run a Farleen was... doll. I could have named one. <laughs> Look, it was ages ago. What are you I, doing? I can... <laughs> so, I mean, I've basically... I've, I've wasted his time. Please tell me that you spoke to him about some other things than just that catch. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, right. Um, well, yes, yes, we did. I've got. Uh, <laughs> we chatted about other stuff as well. So, I'm, what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to quietly back out the room and admit that I have got nothing for any other business. I've got no idea what else to suggest. I've seen lots of catches in lots of games, live and in the flesh. Uh, well, I've seen them. At, I've seen them at Lords for the Nat West games in the mid '90s. I went to those games. I was a bit older. So, were, were there any I, good catches? I can't remember. <laughs> Oh, no. So, Neither can Pete. He's still caught up with one. <laughs> by the way, by the way, it's taken me about two minutes, I reckon, Pete. Jim Troughton caught Batty bowled Simon Jones for 32, 2008. Oh, Simon Jones. There you go. <laughs> Good work, Daz. Excellent work. Much. Right. Daz, if you could just look up the game, the Nat West final at Lords, <laughs> and just pick... No. Right. So I'll, 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 I'll admit defeat. I have, I've gone big, thought I was being clever, and I've absolutely ballsed it. Just name drop him, won't you? Let's, let's be honest. I have no any other business. I've got no catch to offer you, but um, I did talk to Phil about the glory years, those two county championships and the Benson Edges Cup and the two Pro 40s in the space of about five years. In the late 80s and early 90s, Worcestershire were the absolute business. And that's when I got into cricket, which is why my favourite player is always going to be Ian Botham. And he talked to me about, essentially, first and foremost, how Ian Botham joined the club and the subsequent successes they had. So, if nothing else, I can offer you a lovely trip down memory lane. This one is for Peter de Somburg's mum, Anne. I was chatting with him in the bar, and we realised that, you know, he was definitely moving from Somerset. You know, he'd fallen out with them, and there was no 
going back. He was he was definitely going to be leaving. Um, and so, you know, I went back to the club and, and spoke to Duncan Fern and Mike Jones and said, look, we need to get him. And one of the questions they asked me was, do you think you can handle him? And it had never crossed my mind, to be honest, because, you know, I just got on with Ian as a mate, really. Whenever we played against each other, there was football to be discussed because obviously he was at Scunthorpe as well. And I just saw him as a, as a great player who, you know, if he was available, you'd be crazy not to want him at your club. And there were one or two people who, obviously the drugs thing was one of the things, but, you know, I focused very much on Ian as a, as a person that I knew and, and all the charity work that he did. And, and you know, he, was, he did a phenomenal amount of good stuff for, for all his charity stuff. And, you know, that guy can't be all bad. And he, he proved to be a, a fantastic signing for Worcestershire. And it was a fantastic signing for him as well. I think he enjoyed his five years at Worcester. To get Graham Dilley as well was a bonus. Um, Duncan and Mike Jones went out to Australia to sign Ian just when England were winning the 1986 Ashes. And having signed Ian, they got into a lift to go back to the room and Graham Dilley was in the lift and, and Graham turned around and said, uh, do you not want me as well then? <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and they said, why? Are you leaving Kent? He said, yeah, I'm leaving Kent. And so the deal was done pretty much there and then. Brilliant. Um, obviously, they played a huge part. And I often think Graham Dilley didn't, didn't get as much credit for the part that he played in our success because he was a quiet, unassuming guy who... Mm lived out in the country and, and was at his most comfortable, sat on a, a bar still in the corner of the local pub, just sipping, sipping a quiet pint. And he didn't go out of his way to be to mix with people. So people didn't know him as well, but he helped plan, as did you know, as did we all. But he, he took me on one side at a, at a club barbecue um, in 1988 at the start of the season. And he, in his mind, he'd mapped out all the games that he felt we needed him to play in and some games where he could probably rest because he could bear in mind when he played for us, his knee was so bad that he was hobbling in at times um, and still played for us. Um, but, you know, to, that he'd obviously, in his mind, we were targeting the championship and he, he'd realised that there were certain games that were going to be key games that we desperately needed to make sure he was fit for. Wow. Um, so, you know, he, play, he played his part and, and in opened the batting and, and bowled for us in the Sunday League that, at 87. That year we won the Sunday League, which was our first trophy. He and Tim Curtis opened the batting and got us off to flying starts. And, you know, he, he obviously played a significant role on the field as well. But I think it was as much the fact that the club went, meant business. It was a sign to the rest of the players that the club were prepared to go and sign these players. We meant business and we were going out to win things. And... Everybody benefited from that, you know, the, the raising of support, the games being on TV all the time. And a lot of players benefited from that exposure by going on to play for England. You know, Tim Curtis, Phil Newport, Steve Rose, Neil Bradford, they all went on to yeah. play for England during that period. And, yeah. uh, and suddenly we were a high-profile team from being a small, club, a small side in the county championship. We were suddenly a really high-profile team. It was just really exciting because yeah. as a young lad, you could see, you know, you'd have... Uh, Watching people like Graham Hick and Tom Moody and th- these big names, Ian Botham, who was in the late 80s, early 90s, it, well, throughout the 80s really, was as big a sporting name as you could get. He was on a question of sport with Bill Beaumont and there was a feeling that there was, um, there, it was just special to be at New Road in that time. It was a really special thing and I go back all the time and it, it never ever quite feels the same. Maybe it's, you know, the, the joy of youth and everything else, but there was such a wonderful mix of different personalities uh, and different styles of play, but everyone so so efficient and effective in their role within that team. 
we toyed with the balance of the side over the, uh, over the years, trying to get close to what we thought was our, our best balance. And, you know, Kapil Dev featured a, a couple of years previously, and that sort of set the set the precedent for a, a guy who batted at six and opened the bowling, you know, so Ian obviously filled that role. And Graham qualifying as English, so now we've got, you know, a, a guy batting at four who could also be our second spinner. So pretty much the whatever team we picked, we've got four seamers of high quality and two spinners in the side and plenty of batting because all yeah. the guys down the order could bat. But uh, those that, that were against Ian coming, some, some of the arguments were that, you know, we'd got some local players who probably wouldn't get a chance to play much um, if, if Ian came. But in actual fact, the key members of those uh, winning teams were the local guys because Ian played in 87 but then had a back operation and missed most of 88. Uh, you know, and guys like Martin Weston slotted straight into as a replacement for him. Steve McEwen played, uh, Stuart Lampitt played. Um, a key part of Graham Hick being successful was that you know we averaged 50 for the first wicket in, over over the championship seasons, and, and Tim Curtis obviously was a big part of that. But Gordon Lord and Paul Bent, who at times opened the batting with Tim, mm. were, were part of us making sure we got a decent partnership on the board before Graham came to the crease. You know. Yeah. And so everybody everybody played their part, and it wasn't just the big names. It was it was everybody came in. The roles were were predefined really in the makeup of the side, and guys came in and slotted into those roles. And we were, we, you know, we were very blessed that we had people like you know, Martin and Stuart who could who could both bat and bowl. You know, that's a really good point. It, when you think about it, that's the kind of the quintessential modern cricketer being a multifaceted cricketer. And it's interesting yeah. with Graham Hick is that the 405, and I had a 405 Graham Hick back when I was a lad, but he took three wickets in that game afterwards to, to basically force through a, a victory against Somerset, um, yeah. which often sort of gets forgotten about. But um, Well, I, I was heavily criticised for declaring on Graham when he got 405. Um, you know, there was a, a, probably an hour's play left in the day, and the, the argument was he could have got 500 if we'd died for another half hour. Well, my focus was on winning the game rather than going for individual targets, so... <laughs> We declared, and my philosophy had always been: if someone was, if it was their day, you know, get the most out of him. So we bowled a couple of overs with the new ball, and then I threw Graham the ball and said, "Come and have a bowl." And he got Martin Crow out that yeah. night. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so you know, you're absolutely right. Of, I mean, Brian, yeah. Brian Lara getting 501 at, at Edgebaston, and as we've pointed out, because there's you know the the guy who runs the County Cricket Podcast, and they're really great. Um, he's a Bears fan, and we said well, it doesn't count if you don't win. Yeah. Um, you know, Graham, four oh five not out, but forced a victory, and that's what really matters. We won all those games. We we won every four day game that we played because you know we be- we believe that you know without any rain we were we were a better team than most. Um, so we were able to you know to, to force our uh, better quality over on over a four day period. You know there were no draws. It, there was plenty of time for us to try and win a game. One more thing, I mean, about that era, about that that sort of that five-year or so period where Worcestershire were just fantastic and picking up trophies for fun and playing great cricket, is there one outstanding match or performance or memory from within that era for you that really stands out? For me personally? Yeah, or, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, you've, you've, you've had a very storied career. I mean, seventeen over 17,000 runs in first class, over 7,000 runs in List A cricket, Wisdom Cricketer uh, acknowledged in 1989. So... I mean, you've talked about everyone else's con- contributions to this fabulous side, uh, but you're an integral part of that, and you were captain as well. So, f- from yeah. your point of view, what is there? A, is there a highlight for you? Winning the championship for me was everything, and winning it two years in succession was obviously fantastic. 
You know, if you, if you couldn't play for England, which I did, you know, captaining your champion, your side to the county championship was the next best thing you could do in cricket as far as I was concerned. And playing my role in that team, you know, there were a couple of times in championship years where we got on, perhaps I remember a spinning wicket at Bristol where I got 100 and, and then we won the game. And, and I remember getting 98 against Hampshire and I was mortified that I got out for 98. Mm. But, you know, we we won the game. Um, and... Um, I'm sure one of the sides that I didn't get a hundred again. So I was, and I got out to Chris Smith bowling Austin. Austin, I've been mean, got through Malcolm Marshall and everybody else, and, and chopped one from Chris Smith under my stump bowling Austin. That's but, a heartbreaker, but, isn't it? But the score itself was significant in a relatively low-scoring game you know, on an ifish pitch. Innings like that, I mean, I, I think I averaged thirty-six, mid thirty-sixes over the course of my career, and. And I, although I'd like to have averaged higher, I'm comfortable that, you know, we played on pitches that did a bit. You know, there were, there were I won't say result pitches, but there was always a bit in it for the bowlers and the batsmen. And, you know, to, to average that when the team was winning, I would much rather do that than average 45 in a team that was drawing all the time. And so my role in that team was to bat at five and, and to be almost a safety valve. You know, Tim, was the, Tim shored it up at the front. Um, you know, but if, if Tim was out... Um, I was the one that would hold an end up and bat with the tail and, and you know, sometimes bat with Hickey and in a partnership of 200, score 40. You know, that was that was a sort of order of things. But, um, you know, I used to bat at three before I was captain, but, then, you know, I felt that five was the best slot for me to play a role for the team. And, you know, I was happy with the contribution I made there. Hey, come on. Did I win my money back? Absolutely, Jim. We can, uh, we can stop giving you a hard time for that one. Good work. Yeah, we'll let you off now, Jim. That was a great interview. Really <laughs> enjoyed listening mate. to that, mate. <laughs> oh, dear. Wow. Um, yeah, I got out of jail. Yeah, and Phil, a fine chap. Everything yeah, that touches. Yeah, the mark of a man. And like you said at the end there, he talked about everybody else but himself until you pushed him at the end there. He hated talking about himself as well. Yeah, and that's yeah, the sort absolutely. of chap he was. Everything he touches turns to gold. I mean, he was part of that Warwickshire side, coaching side, who were, who were really special. He's been England's operation manager for years. He's been hired by the New Zealand side. So when they got the um, best test team in the world accolade, he was there being their operations manager as well. And they've asked him back. So he got a gold medal for that. Uh, and he says that the New Zealand boys are as as wonderful and brilliant and generous spirited as you imagine they are based on the TV. And he said he'd been treated brilliantly by them. But yeah, everything he does. What a fine chap. And a real, a true golden era. Uh, and an integral part in, in putting together that legendary side of the late 80s and early 90s. So there we are, good, Phil Neal, well. a good catcher as well. Not that yeah. we'll ever discuss it. So uh, <laughs> I'll uh, I'll chuck that audio in the bin. We'll all move, all move on. And speaking of moving on, guys, I think we should wrap it up because we promised a shorter pod, but it's longer than usual, and that's probably <laughs> my fault. But that's okay. So we'll call it quits and have another crack next week, I guess. Then, lads, we will. But before we do, Jim, you owe Daryl an apology because <laughs> Daryl nearly didn't make it onto this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Daz, I've had a bit oh. of a shocker. I had a bit of a shocker before we started. I phoned Pete first. I always phone Pete first because he gets, you know, I don't want him to feel like I don't love him because I do, and that's forever. Um, so I dialed you up and you didn't answer. And so I left a voicemail message basically going, Daz, we're recording the pod. If you don't get your act together and answer the phone soon, you're getting fired. And then me and Pete had a good laugh about it and called you an idiot. And then I realised that I dialed the wrong number. 
So I've left a, I left a, I left a stupid voicemail message to a complete stranger who's just going to be like, I've got no idea what this is about. Um, so you, we, the reason we were late coming to you was because I had to send a text message apology because I realised that I'd got the last digit wrong and just said, look, I'm really sorry. And, and the worst thing... <laughs> I, I was recording it as well. <laughs> We've got, we got to hear that. I just thought, well, as, as soon as I realised it was going to voicemail, I pressed record because I thought it'd be funny to record the message I sent you. And instead it was just me backpedalling embarrassingly. That may or may not be deleted as well. Anyway, um, gentlemen, on that crushing blow, I'll do better next week, possibly. Let's enjoy what's left of our Friday evening. More of the same next week. But until then, be kind to yourselves, Pairs fans. Peace. Please tell me you have been recording this. I'm messaging this person who I've just left a, an accidentally angry voicemail to Daz about. Hi there. I ever say sorry. I think I messaged you by mistake. It was for a, a dear friend. A dear friend sounds too much. Is Daz a dear friend? It was for a friend. <laughs> it was for a friend about our plans this evening but I misdialed oh dear apologies for the nonsense do I dare put my name on it uh, yeah, apologies for the nonsense signing it off Peter de Somburg <laughs>